Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. So I've been talking about what is truth over the last four weeks. I'm going to switch today, uh, though I, I thought of several other things I wanted to talk about and didn't get to. Um, we may redo that series and maybe expand it here in the, in the future, but uh, I do want to go a little bit different direction today. Uh, and part of it is the season. You know, Scott and Tanya just talked some about what we are coming upon. Actually, we're in the middle of with Rosh Hashanah just having started and and now we've got um, Day of Atonement that is about to take off this week and then what's coming. So every time I get to this season, it really causes me um, to pause and reflect and also to realize there's this sobering, wonderful reality of what is coming, both difficult and amazing. It's both of those. And this season, more than any other through the year for me, uh, does this for me. And I think God intended that actually when he established the feasts for the Jews to celebrate. I think that was in part, one of the reasons was to remember what he had done and his awesomeness and to celebrate, but also looking ahead at what he was going to do. Uh, And it's the way that he actually, God does things differently than we do them. His timing is different, as I just mentioned than our timing, and he has his own clock and ways of doing things that would not be the way that I would do them for sure, but he's God. And he, one of the ways that he has established things is he has not only delivered his people, but then he had them celebrate these festivals, which were a prophetic picture and declaration of things that would happen in the future. They're celebrating what God has done in the past. And as they're celebrating, every celebration and every time time they go through the ritual and walk through every part of the celebration, it was prophesying something that God was going to do in the future. The, The New Testament calls them shadows of things to come. So in God, who is outside of time, he's not bound by time like we are at all. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. So sometimes he does the end before he starts the beginning. So everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of the substance that's already happened. I don't understand all this works. We're talking about God. But that's what he says, that everything in the Old Testament was a shadow. So if there's a shadow, there's a substance already there, and the sun is already shining and casting a shadow. So, But to us, we're, just, we're walking through, and we get to the shadow, and the, the real hasn't happened. Well, with feasts, it's that way. They were celebrating deliverance. Let's just go through, through these real quickly. The Passover, I'll probably mispronounce these. Pesach is how they, I think they pronounce it typically in the March-April time frame. Annual celebration of these perfect lambs being killed. Their blood saving them from death, followed by freeing them from slavery in Egypt. The fulfillment of that was... 1,500 years later. So they celebrated for 1,500 years off and on. They didn't always, they weren't always obedient to do that, but for the most part they did. And then 1,500 years later, we get the perfect lamb of God from heaven whose blood 
covers the sin of not just one family, but of every family on the planet who receives him. Amazing. So you see the shadow was real deliverance, a real little lamb, but the substance was the lamb of God in his blood, right? We know this. We celebrate this at Easter and then the resurrection. Okay, and then the second feast that God said to for the Jews to celebrate was Shuvot, typically celebrated in May, celebration of the first fruits of the harvest and the day that God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. So it's a celebration, again, of first fruits of what God has done, both the Ten Commandments and the harvest, and it came 50 days after Passover. Well, the fulfillment of that, we all know, we talked about it in May, was Pentecost. We call that Pentecost. So the shadow was this celebration, but the real was the Holy Spirit being sent from heaven. First, it was the Lamb of God being sent from heaven. Then it's the Holy Spirit being sent from heaven to abide and reside on the inside of us. And it's where the church was born, Pentecost. That's a fulfillment of the second feast. Well, the third feast that God has had the Jews celebrate 1,500 years before Jesus came, and 2,000 years since, still celebrating. This one hasn't been fulfilled yet. But it's the Feast of Tabernacles, and it has several different parts of it with Rosh Hashanah and then the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, this week celebration of living in these, living in these temporary quarters, remembering that they were for 40 years wandering in the wilderness and the Lord took care of them. And this um, is celebrated during this time. In fact, we're right in the middle of this right now. They're sometimes called the Days of Awe, these 10 days of reflection. And as Tanya just shared, thinking about my own sin and hoping that I'm pleasing to the Lord and making adjustments in my life. That's what happens during that. And in the midst of this is also something called the Feast of Trumpets, where, and especially during Rosh Hashanah, there are a hundred trumpet blasts, with the, long, the last one being the longest, as long as they could breathe, blow that trumpet. It's called the Feast of Trumpets. So this is that season of trumpets blasting, celebration, atonement, brand new year. That's Rosh Hashanah, the brand new year in the Jewish calendar. And um, by the way, Day of Atonement, as Tanya mentioned again, is this Tuesday night, as many Jews will be celebrating that around the world. Uh, the spiritual part of that, I just wanted to mention to you guys, it's, uh, I've talked to many, many people who the Lord tends to visit them in special ways on that day. So I'm going to say, pay attention to your dreams Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, your visions in the morning when you wake up. That's usually when the Lord speaks to me in any type of vision type of mode would be, it's usually as I'm first waking up and you're kind of in between, you're not quite asleep, you're not fully awake, it's that in between mode. Paul, I think, called that a trance. Pay attention to see, just see what the Lord, and write it down. And if it's really good, send it to me. I'd love to hear it. But the Lord's speaking. So that's part of, I think, part of a fulfillment is him speaking during that time, during this season. But the fulfillment of this feast, Feast of Tabernacles, hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting. First one was Jesus coming to the earth. The second one was the Holy Spirit coming to the earth. The third one is Jesus returning to the earth. When he returns, when he comes back, that's the fulfillment of tabernacles. It's a wonderful thing. 
And so what I'd like to do today is I'm not going to do much of my own talking. I want to read some scriptures today. We're going to read a lot of scriptures today. So um, I probably don't turn to each of these because I'm going to be going through quite a few of them. I think I've got 22 different passages here. And we're just going to let the word speak to us about some of the fulfillment of what is yet to come. And it's remarkable that we're as close to it as anybody has ever been. Right? If you're breathing, if you're alive, we get to be in this generation that God chose to be the closest to him returning that's ever been. As I know that's real profound, right? <laughs> I remember uh, a prophetic experience I had um, with a prophet who's no longer with us. And I had my second son, Seth, kind of brought him before this prophet and he looked at him. And as he started to pray over him, my son Seth started laughing uncontrollably. Just had all this laughter. And it was uh, like a supernatural something. It wasn't normal. Because Bob was just praying over him. And then he prophesied. One of, his pro one of the words that he prophesied was that my children, our children, that age, would be the ones who would take it in, who would be the last generation, which is amazing to me. Now, I, I don't know if that is, there's just no time, date related to that, but if we're that close, that's pretty incredible. And as you can see, things that have happened in the world, um, and we can, we'll walk through some of this. My hope is to, in the new year, to go through some of Revelation as to where we are in this and how these things fit in. But there are many things that have taken place that have been fulfilled in, in the prophecies of the scriptures where you can see there are only a few things left before the Lord returns. So clearly we are in this last days period. Don't know exactly how much longer that we have, but I would be surprised if it were more than 40 years. Let me say that. So we could be this last generation, and it could happen any time, when Jesus returns. I think there are some things that have to happen yet, but you know what? God is God, and it could be tomorrow. So, But let me just read some scriptures here, and I want your spirit to just kind of soak this in, to think about what is being said here. And honestly, when I put this together, I probably had to not, because of the sake of time, not put in about 50 scriptures. The Bible speaks a lot about Jesus returning. A lot. It's not, and it's something we don't talk about a ton. Though we probably need to talk about it a lot more. And for a couple of reasons. One of them is that we need to be living in such a way that we are eagerly awaiting his return. Or we're, we're living for his return living for him. You know, there's lots of words in the scriptures that warn us about deception and being caught up in the things of this world where our mind and our heart are distracted from him coming, distracted from living in such a way that we're not fully alive along the way, doing his will, all those things. So let, let me just read some of these and I will just warn you up front, I'm not going to go through the whole passage of each of these verses, so I'm not going to give everything in context. 
Uh, we can go and do this some more later as well, but here we go. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. I want to talk about just a few verses here of scriptures of how he is returning, the how part. How is he returning? Acts 1.11, and he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Of course, this is when Jesus ascended after he was resurrected. This Jesus, who has, excuse me, was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. So there we have some little bit of understanding of the how. How is he going to return? Well, he went up. He just started floating and went up into heaven. He says, he's going to come back in a similar fashion. Reverse. Re Revelation 1.7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Of course, in Acts, what we just read, he was ascending up into the clouds. Now it says here, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. That's interesting. Lots of things in there. Every eye will see him. I don't know how that's going to happen. But when I think of technology now, you know, something can happen on the other side of the planet. And if it's videoed, everybody can see that who has access to um, there will probably be a day not too long from now where really everybody has access to see something that happens on a, at the same time or close to it. Maybe it's happening that way. Maybe it's a different way that all will see him. Even those who pierced him. Now, those who pierced him have been dead a long time. Somehow there, there's a viewing both in hell and in heaven and every person on the earth will see this return. Think about that. Matthew 24, 27. This is Jesus speaking on the how he's going to return. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, it happens fast, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. It's not going to be a subtle thing. Jesus returning, which is one reason why Jesus said, hey, if someone tells you, you know, there he is, or here he is, or he already came, or he's over there. He's already on the earth. Don't you know it? Which that, those words are on the earth already. There are people who are claiming and have said the Messiah is already here. Jesus said, do not be deceived by that. Because if not everyone saw it, it didn't happen. This is going to be different. When he returns, it's going to be completely and entirely different. Not a subtle thing. Not like he came the first time. When it was an angel and Mary and the Holy Spirit and quiet. This one's entirely different. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Hello. Completely different. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So here we've got dead people coming out of the graves right? While people are watching in hell, people watching in heaven, then we'll talk more about other things that are happening as Jesus returns. This is a huge deal. Matthew 24, verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. 
And then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. So here we have the angels blowing trumpets. And they will gather his elect. That's you and I. That's those who follow him. That's those who believe in him. That's those who live his way. He's going to gather them from the four winds, or you could probably say from the four corners of the earth. The people of Jesus will be gathered together from one end of heaven to the other. There's a gathering of all of us somehow. And I think that's part of that catching up. We're gathered to go with him and I think to return with him. And then when is he returning? So that's some of the how, just a little bit. Here's some of the when he's returning. Matthew 24, verse 36. But concerning the day, that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only, which is part of the Jewish tradition we've talked about before. When a son is about to get married, he goes away and starts building his house, getting it ready, and only the dad knows when that's going to be ready that he can go get his bride and bring her into the house. It's a, very, it's, a, it's a natural picture of a supernatural, spiritual thing that the son doesn't even know. The father only knows when it's that time for him to return. And he will get the word. He'll say, son, go. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the hour that he will come will be a time that we will not expect. So I'm certainly, it is fruitless and really ridiculous and probably stupid to try and decide and say, well, no, this is when he's coming. It's this hour, even the day. I do think we can say the season because tabernacles has to be fulfilled. It's the pattern of God to do it. But there's a pretty good length of time and it could be any year and any hour during that time. You must be ready, though, is what it says. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4, says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. There's another clue as to the timing that the apostasy must come first. Now, apostasy basically means a great falling away. And that's one of the saddest things to me, Uh, just to be honest, and particularly as a pastor, My desire as a pastor, as a shepherd, is that every single sheep stays true to him all the way through and doesn't buy into deception. They don't pay attention to lies and they don't, their heart doesn't stray from Jesus. But many will. Many will get deceived. Many will uh, fall away from following him. I know many already. In my lifetime, many, you know many, who were following Jesus once, they got offended in some way, or something didn't happen, they were disappointed in some way, 
or something let them down or whatever it is, or just the, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, pursuit or greed of whatever it is, took their heart and they went a different direction and aren't following Jesus anymore. It is heartbreaking. And there's going to be a larger portion of that that will happen yet. An apostasy comes first. And along with that, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, some figure that is leading a lot of people astray. He will probably have demonic power with signs and wonders and will trick many people. He's probably going to be super suave, probably pretty handsome, and just going to steal hearts and minds and pull people away from Jesus. But we're warned about this, right? So that when that happens, it doesn't matter who it is. If he didn't come like lightning flashes from the east to the west, I am not going that direction. That is not Jesus. He's drawing attention to himself. He's setting himself up as a God, in a sense. Then there's is- there are issues. Let's not be deceived. Verse 4, son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. You see any of that? That's not Jesus. But there will be a lot of deception related to that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. It's Paul speaking to the Corinthians, to this church. We shall not all sleep or die is often another translation or understanding what he's talking about there. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. We see these trumpets keep happening over and over and over when it speaks of the Lord's return. And I think, again, it indicates part of the season in which he returns. Feast of trumpets, hundred blasts, and then somehow the Lord is sending angels to blow trumpets. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. There's a transformation. We'll read this here in just a little bit, I think on some more, of our bodies taking on immortality. There's going to be, yeah, anybody ready for that? You know, when you read um, after Jesus rose from the dead, and he has his new body, he can eat, he can drink, and he can walk through walls. I like that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that body. I've had dreams throughout my life of flying. Like just, whew, like, you know, Jesus ascending, just like elevating. I have dreams. I have dreams of over, over, and over. I've had them through my life. I've recorded them. And um, I think it's like a picture of what is coming. You know, that dream is, you know, we're going to have bodies like Jesus taking on immortality. Incredible. Okay. What will he do when he returns? So when Jesus is, we just read a little bit about kind of the how and then the when, but what will he do when he comes back? Hebrews 9, 28. And again, there are so many more scriptures that we can add to this. So Christ, Paul speaking to the Hebrews, I think we think it's Paul, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, that was the fulfillment of Passover, 
will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. Jesus already dealt with sin as sin itself, not sinful people. He dealt with sin. But this time, to save those who were eagerly waiting for him. To save those who were eagerly waiting for him. You know, one of the things I think that can is a maybe a thermometer of the state of our soul is are we eagerly awaiting him? Or would the temperature of our soul be bogged down with the things of the world? And I, I, I'm talking to myself. I want my heart to be awaiting him, to be anticipating, to be excited about, to be living for his return not so affected by all the stuff we're figuring out and dealing with here. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Whoa, we're talking about war this time. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Okay? And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Of course, there's a lot of metaphors and analogy related to Revelation. We can talk about that later. But here, one of his names is called the Word of God, which we know who that is according to John chapter 1, right? And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him. So he's got an army with him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. I don't think that's a physical sword. I think he's speaking of his words, having sword-like ability there. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Whoa. This is a lot different than the first time they came. He's coming with an army this time. He's coming to take care of stuff. You know, some of the things when I read the news, uh, which I read every day, I read some news. And when I see the heartache and the torment and the results of dictators and evil people tormenting and hurting and harming other people around the world all the time. It's, it's a bit overwhelming. And I hate it. And I'm like, who is not, is this ever going to get dealt with? Who, who is going to deal with these people who are raping and pillaging and stealing and murdering and killing and all this around the world? Well, that's what Jesus will do. Jesus will take care of everything that we are not taking care of right now related to justice, I think one of the first things is corruption. Jesus will deal with all corruption around the world. I don't know how he's going to do that, but he is. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. So he's got an army of saints with him. He has an army of angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. And this is scripture I haven't written down here, but if you read in Zechariah chapter 14, it speaks of the Messiah returning and he comes back to Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives is where he returns to. So at some point, some kind of throne 
where Jesus returns to. Revelation 22, verse 12, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. So he's coming with an army. He's coming to bring war, in a sense, to deal with corruption and abuse and sin and all that around the world. And then he's coming at the same time, part of his purpose, part of what he comes back, is he's coming with reward. And Jesus spoke of reward a few times in parables and when he was speaking to people, you know, that your reward is great if you do this. Those who serve. And here it says he's bringing his reward with him. So think about it. It's another reason to really look forward to and eagerly anticipate the return of Jesus is that not only does he make everything right, but his reward is with him. According to what we've done, how we've lived, Jesus brings reward to each individual person. And who knows what that is going to be like? I don't think it's a trophy like you get in soccer. I think it's entirely different. My reward is with me. Romans 2, verse 6. Something else he will do along these lines. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. So that's part of the reward is eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. Wrath and fury. I mean, when I think of Jesus, I don't think of wrath and fury. We think of him laying his life down, bleeding, broken for us, and all that is true. And for all of us who have received him and believe in him and have tasted of him and follow him, there is no wrath and fury. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But for those who haven't, it, it is going to be serious. It's going to be serious. Philippians 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He will transform us to have this new body. 2 Timothy 4, 8. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And he says, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It's another way of saying eagerly await his return. All those who love his appearing. I am ready. You know, I love, I love looking at clouds. Sometimes I imagine the Lord appearing with the clouds. That's gonna, we're going to somehow see him like that when he returns that way. We need to love his appearing. Look forward to it. Anticipate it. Okay, so there's a few things that we see in the scriptures. Let's, what about our part? Some of the things the Lord does, the timing of what he will do. Part of our part, Matthew 24, 42 through 46. Therefore, stay awake. That's one reason why we named this church that. For you do not know 
on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the matter, excuse me, the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, would have not left his house, let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man's coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. There is an expectation of Jesus on us, those who have been redeemed, set free, made brand new, filled with the Spirit, that we would live in a, a state of expectancy, readiness, but also doing what he wants us to do while we're here. If we call ourselves his servants, we just sang this amazing, beautiful song. I loved worship today. I surrender all. I'm your servant, Lord. I'm here to do your will, not mine. I'm here to be about your business, not mine. That's what he's, one of the things he's expecting is that we are about his business so that when he comes, man, we're, we're doing the stuff we're supposed to be doing. We're living the way that we're supposed to be living. We're loving well. We're serving others. We're demonstrating the kingdom. 1 John 2.28. And now, little children, John says, abide in him so that when he appears, speaking of his return, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. We want to live in such a way that when that lightning flash from the east to the west, it's like, not, oh no. And then try and do something real quick that's good. That doesn't work. We read that in Matthew chapter 25 with the parable of the, the 10 virgins, right? It's too late then. We want to be fully engaged in our purpose that he has for us in the kingdom while we're here and abiding in him. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is John 15. Jesus speaking with the invitation to abide in me and I in you. This is how you produce fruit. This is how the Father's glorified when you abide in me. To, we are to live in him and not live a, a um, compartmentalized life. Compartmentalized life means that I live one way one day and I live a different way a different day. And that's not supposed to be the way it is. Where I abide in him on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day of the week. That I'm abiding in him and he in me. And I recognize wherever I am, he's with me. That abiding in him is part of us living fully awake, fully alive. James chapter five, verse seven. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain. Here's something not to do. So you have some things to do. Here's some things not to do. Do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. He's ready to come. But complaining's an issue. So, you know, a great fast to start for the rest of your life, not for like a week, is complaining and criticism. What if every complaint were turned into thanksgiving? 
I mean, that's honestly one of my goals. I've said this many times to the Lord is I want to be one of the most thankful people you've ever come across. Thankful. I mean, we can thank God for a million things every day. So many things to be thankful for. Complaining, that's what the enemy wants you doing. That's being disengaged in the purposes of God when we're complaining. That's what, and we learned from just reading through the scriptures in Exodus of the Israelites. That was their issue, right? And it says many of them fell. Many of them were swallowed up by the earth. Complaining, complaining. It's like the Lord's like, I cannot handle this anymore. You ever had a kid complain in your house? I mean, at some point, it gets, as my wife says, it gets on my last nerve. That's what she says, comment she says. It's on my last nerve. I think the Lord feels that way sometimes when he hears complaining. So it says, don't be complaining against one another. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So let me, instead of complaining about my brother, my sister, let me consider how I can stir them up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. Here we are today. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what day he's talking about. The return of Jesus. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. You can see him speaking of Jesus returning here and how we can't just know the truth, but we're supposed to live it as well and not just continue sinning, 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 and, you know, that's all covered. That type of mentality is what he's speaking to there. First John chapter 3, verse 2, we're almost done here. Beloved, now we are children of God. That's your highest title, by the way. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Speaking of that transformation of having a body like we have now, in a moment, change to be like his body because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Because I know what's going to happen when he returns, I'm going to be transformed. I'm going to be gathered together with him to rule and reign on the earth with him. I then with that hope, with that eager expectation, I want to live a pure life. I'm purifying myself of everything that would hinder him living in me well. And me not being ready for him to return. I want to purify, get rid of, I'm going to cut stuff off and break things away. Live in such a way that would please him. Second Timothy chapter four, last scripture here. Verse one, this is Timothy, uh, Paul speaking to Timothy and to leaders. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, Here's what I want you to do, Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, correct, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Do all these things in love. And again, I'm skipping over probably another 50 passages. 
about Jesus returning. But I'm hoping that even just hearing some of those things today, that our hearts are stirred during this season. I want to pray for us too, that if they're not, that they would be. To long for him, to eagerly await him, to expect him to return. So Lord, we just do that right now. We just say thank you for your word and how it is so consistent all the way through. And that you've given us some pieces to this puzzle and given us these prophetic words about a future that we are going to get to walk in, that we get to see and that we are in even now. Father, I ask that by your spirit, you would stir us to live for your return, to live for you fully. Lord, if there's anything in any one of us that is a hindrance to what you want to do in our lives today, tomorrow, next week, that you would break it off, that you would show us how we can repent of it, how we can move away from it, how we can turn away from it. And Lord, we ask that you would be the, the thing, the one that fills us with light and life and hope and joy and excitement, that we're more excited about you than anything else in this world. Lord, keep our hearts from getting entangled with the things in the world. Lord, help us to not be deceived by the liar and all of the things that he is stirring up at all times to try and get us distracted and devoted to something other than you. Let this beautiful, purity, simple devotion to you be in all of us. And Lord, I want to just ask, just a request even now, that everyone watching this, everyone here in this room, and even those who couldn't be here today, that we all, when you appear, that our hearts would just come fully alive, that we are expecting and awaiting and thankful for your return, that none of us would walk away in shame. None of us would be embarrassed. But we'd be fully embracing who you are, what you're doing. Lord, I bless these people. I thank you for their lives. I thank you for their families. I thank you that you lead us in truth. And Lord, thank you that you are walking with us every step of the way. You never leave us or forsake us. You're with us all the way through right now until you return. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.